Let's face it, if you're active, the risk of injury is always present, meaning if we push ourselves too hard, we're just one accident away from crushing medical expenses. Not to mention less time doing the stuff that we love, struggling with our mental health. You know, injuries are so much more than the actual injury. That's why Spot partners with ski resorts like Telluride uh, and organizations like the USA Cycling, and they work with events like Red Bull Last Stand to offer injury insurance with lift tickets, memberships, or race registrations. Spot easily integrates with any booking platform and does all the heavy lifting to ensure guests are covered. They also have a really cool individual plan that's only $25 a month, and it's specialized towards covering people that do gnarly stuff because it's really hard to get insurance companies to cover us if we're doing dumb stunts. Um, with Spot, if your customer or if your event attendee, uh, competitor ends up getting hurt, Spot will cover up to $25,000 of their out-of-pocket medical bills per incident with zero deductibles. With Spot, all of your customers can focus on a full and quick recovery so they can get back to their best lives and you are also covered. It also allows you to be covered as an individual because we know that medical expenses can be super hectic, especially if you love to travel and do dumb stuff. Visit outofbounds.getspot.com to partner with Spot and kind of get the ball rolling on some awesome coverage for your business and your community. That's learn more at outofbounds.getspot.com. Hey, BSC listeners. This is Renee, and I'm back with this week's episode of Big Stick Energy on the Out of Collective podcast. Right now, we have a long weekend up in Canada. I think there's also a long weekend in the States. So I hope that you all have Monday off and you're getting after it wherever you're listening from. I wrote two exams last week and have been slammed with school this past month. So I'm so stoked to get a real weekend and get outside and do the things that I like to do because I haven't been doing a lot of that lately and it makes me sad. We are hoping to do most of our episodes with both myself and Tori, but life has been busy as heck lately, and we want to keep the content flowing for you all, so we might have the occasional solo episode because that's just how she goes some weeks. Today, I will be flying solo, and I cannot wait to introduce you to someone I met up at Whistler last season. There's a stereotype that artists don't make any money, (laughs) so what about an artist whose clients are mostly in the ski industry. You'd think that would be a double negative, but today's guest has made it work and then some. Not only is painting her full-time job, but she also won the distinction of 30 under 30 for British Columbia entrepreneurs this past year. Meg O'Hara is on the pod today and she loves to ski. She loves to adventure outdoors. And that is something that gets communicated through her art. Her account on Instagram is at Meg O'Hara Creative, so go check it out. Um, We're going to talk a little bit about a collaboration that she has that is dropping tomorrow, which will be February 22nd for Protect Our Winters, so we'll chat a bit more about that later. And don't forget to leave a review. Out of Collective is also expanding to YouTube, so you should probably go smash that subscribe button as well. Thank you for tuning in to another week of BSC, and we're going to drop in three, two, one. Meg O'Hara, who is she? (laughs) Uh, My name is Meg O'Hara, and I'm an artist. 
I paint large landscape paintings. And the intention behind all of my paintings is to get people to seek adventure in nature and also reflect on their role in preserving it. And that is the guiding purpose behind everything that I do. <laughs> so there we go. Yeah. When did you start painting? I grew up painting. So my, my granny was a painter. She was a pretty good hobby artist. And um, I'm named after her, actually. And w like growing up, she would I would visit her in the summers, spend a week with her, spend a weekend with her, and she would always teach me how to paint. And so I really learned to paint from her. And then my dad also painted as well. So I got a lot of my skills from him and a lot of um, exposure to the arts from him. And actually when I was 16 years old, I sold my first painting to my granny for a hundred dollars and I was hyped. <laughs> so yeah, I'd say from my granny and also from my dad. Granny coming through with the support. <laughs> yeah, she was wild. She was a wild woman for sure. I, yeah, I'm very lucky to come from the family that I'm from. Like they're, they're a pretty serious group. Like the O'Hara's are pretty serious. <laughs> um, you know, they're all like, a lot of them are overachievers and just serious people. Um, but they, everyone has a passion and an appreciation for the arts. So even though, though they're not all creatives, like a lot of them are lawyers and judges, that's kind of the main profession in my family is law. Um, they're everyone's like an advocate for the arts and everyone appreciates the arts. So I grew up around a lot of art. Was it what you always wanted to do? Like you sold your first painting at 16, but was there, I mean, if everyone else is a lawyer, was there a point where you were pursuing that or did you just know like, nope, I'm going to do art? There's no fucking chance I could have been a lawyer. <laughs> I, there's no way, like, there's just no way. Like, there, okay, first of all, I have like a pretty serious learning disability. So like me writing the LSATs probably wouldn't have happened. Like me writing an essay to get into law school, like probably not. Um, but no, I like I knew law wasn't going to be the path for me. But um, yeah, I really wanted to be an artist. Like I always thought I could do it and I would really love to do it. But I had this kind of I mean, honestly, I had this limiting belief holding me back that told me that artists don't make money, that it's not a real career, that it's something you do part-time, that, you know, if you're going to be an artist, you're going to be a starving artist. So I tried to work like a corporate job. I tried to have kind of like a serious career, you know, tried to work like a nine to five, it was very miserable. And then um, I was like, I think I can do this on my own. Actually, when I was working a nine to five, I was still painting on the side and this was my way of being like, okay, I can have a serious job. Like, I know I can't be an artist. It's not a career. Um, I'll have this serious nine to five. And that's when I got my like favorite commission ever. I was commissioned by Sunshine Village in Banff and I got that commission and it was so fun. Like all of our meetings were on the chairlift, like on the gondola you know, we were talking about skiing all the time. I was painting this amazing vista that I saw skiing. And that year working my nine to five, I think I made painting on the side. I made like a third of my salary just working on the side. 
And I was like, I think I can probably do this full time. If doing it part time, I made a third of my salary, like I can probably figure this out. And with this commission for Sunshine, I had so much fun and it made me really happy that I figured I may as well try. So I just quit my job and went for it. (laughs) And here I am. Yeah. What were you doing as a job then? Oh God, I don't even want to talk about it. It was so bad. I I just, no, like I was just trying the nine to five thing. Like it didn't matter what I was doing. I wasn't like, no matter what I, what kind of a nine to five job I was having, I wouldn't have liked it because it wasn't what I should have been doing. Like I should have been a painter. I always should have been an artist, but it just took like, it was like a boomerang or uh, not a boomerang, like a slingshot pulled me so far in the wrong direction that when I finally pointed it where I wanted to go, it just, I just like catapulted there. Yeah. So that was it. That was your moment where you're like, nope. Yeah. I'm going to do it. I'm going to, I'm going all in. (laughs) Yeah. And then the interesting thing too, right. And we haven't, we haven't mentioned this yet, but almost all my clients are in the ski industry. So 80% 80% of my clients are in the ski industry. So whether that's ski resorts, heli skiing lodges, or private ski chalets, all of my art is like for skiers pretty much. And um, this commission for Sunshine put me on that route because I did this painting for Sunshine and then another ski resort saw one and wanted one. And then a skier who visited that ski resort wanted one for their ski chalet. And then their friend wanted one for their ski chalet. And then it just sort of, I mean, just sort of snowballed, like no pun intended, but (laughs) it just like, it just snowballed into this niche that I uh, was painting and all of my, everything I painted was ski related and all my clients were ski related. So thank you, sunshine. Yeah, shout out to Sunshine Village on that one. <laughs> I love Sunshine too. Like I will always have this soft spot in my life. And like anytime I tell the story of how I got to where I am, I'm like, do you know how much I love Sunshine? <laughs> so yeah, shout out to Sunshine and Kendra. Kendra and Sunshine. Would you say that Sunshine's your favorite resort or are you like Whistler girl? I am the most sentimental to Sunshine for sure. My favorite, I mean, I live, I also live in Whistler. So obviously I'm biased because I love it and it's my backyard. Uh, yeah, Sunshine and Whistler are definitely my favorite too. But where else do I love skiing? I mean, I love skiing kicking horse. Have you oh, ever seen horse? That's my favorite. Really? My favorite resort in Canada, I'll say North America because I haven't skied a ton in the States, yeah. but I think it's the best resort in North America. Yes, I understand yeah. there's only one gondola and some people don't like that, but the terrain is just unmatched. I just love all the steep shoots. It's so, so cute and so fun. Yeah. And it, and it's really quite beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. With sunny day and you're up at the top, it's just 360 mountains. I'm sure you could find something to paint quite easily. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's that's kind of where I get the inspiration for all my pieces is just go out into nature and see a beautiful vista. Like, I could paint that or see a nice chairlift. Like, oh, I'd like to paint that. Some snow covered trees. All right. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, it's a good, it's a good balance to life. Good work-life balance, I'd say. Skiing. I was literally going to ask you that. <laughs> like, where do you get your inspiration? Like what? 
what strikes your eye when you're out there that you're like, mm, I'm going to paint that? <laughs> well, sometimes it'll be the color palette. I mean, there, I don't know. That's pretty hard to, to explain because sometimes you'll, you'll see something, you'll see a view and it's, it's not really easy. To, you, you can't explain why you don't like it, but it just doesn't look good. It wouldn't look good at his painting. So even though something might be a beautiful view in my head, I'm like, it's not a nice, Oh my gosh, sorry, did you hear just hear the dog? <laughs> just yeah. Relax. <laughs> relax. Sorry. Um yeah, like even if it's not um even if it's a beautiful view, I might just be like, that's not gonna be a nice painting. Like I'm not gonna paint it. Um or like this like the trees in this way with the sun dog behind it would be pretty amazing. There's no science to it, and the more you develop your style the more everything kind of, you start to just paint things that fit your style. Like I used to paint cities and now I would never paint a city. I used to use a lot of, um, you know, like I used to use like way more yellow. Now I don't really use yellow. Like your style changes and progresses, progresses and uh, your color palette refines and everything you paint refines and you just iterate and reiterate forever. <laughs> there is no end. <laughs> fun yeah would you say there's certain moments where it might not necessarily be like visually something you see but like a moment that you have or like people that you're with um something that's memorable in a different way that would make you want to paint it or yeah or just I'm something that catches know. your eye Definitely. <laughs> I'm trying to like get my inner artist out here <laughs> yeah there will definitely be times with that where it'll be a sentimental you know, a sentimental time when you and your friends all went to Kyber's and brought like a six pack of beer and watched the sun go down. We should just uh, shout out to Stan Ray and Kelsey Sirwa. Yeah. For blue. <laughs> for dropping their dog on my front porch and getting me to look after him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Shout out. I, I just did a painting for them actually. Of speaking yeah. of, I just did a painting for for Stan and Kels and um, we, they're keeping the original and then um, we're making, we're making it into prints as well. And those are gonna be to benefit Protect Our Winters, which yeah. is was I care a lot about. So it's kind of full circle. I mean, all three of us are ambassadors for POW. So uh, it's a cause that all three of us care about a lot and it was a pretty good way of making it work. Was that something like getting involved with POW. First first off, how long have you been involved with POW and, and following and being an ambassador for them? I think two years, maybe two and a half, probably around two years. Yeah. Was that something that you kind of went to them or? Yeah, I did actually. So I was one of their two, there were two of us who were their first creative ambassadors. And I noticed that POW USA had creative ambassadors, so like artists and photographers, videographers and whatnot, but POW Canada didn't. So I reached out to POW Canada and I was like, hey, this is a cause that I care a lot about. I might be able to help add value. This is a program that they have in the States. Is it something you've looked at having uh, in Canada yet? And they were like, oh, we're actually in the process of starting that. And I was like, well, all my clients are in the ski industry and um, it's probably a pretty good fit. So let's chat. And then I joined them and there have been a few, you know, 
few campaigns and um, ways that I've uh, been able to use my art. Like we did this fundraiser with, we printed two of my designs on buffs and then all the proceeds, like I donated the images and then all the proceeds went to POW. So that was a pretty fun like collaboration and way to give back that's specific to my skills. So yeah, it's, it's a really, it's a great organization to be part of. Um, and for those of you who don't know, POW, Protect Our Winters, is a nonprofit that aims to turn outdoor enthusiasts into climate activists. Um, power in numbers. <laughs> and it's a great cause. So it's worth checking out, even if, you, if you've never, uh, never looked into it before. And it's really great people, like the staff and all the ambassadors and all the volunteers everyone is very like-minded and nice and great to be around. So it's, yeah, I'm lucky to be part of it. Cause I care a lot about, so it's nice yeah. to, nice to you. And then, yeah, and then Stan and Kelsey get the original painting. So, yeah. And I get to continue to puppy sit their dog for them all the time. So <laughs> Yeah. I think it's sweet that you have found a way to take your values and to have somewhere where you can give back. And it's like you said, you can add value to POW with your skill set because everyone has a different skill set. And whether that's just with the designs at Buff or doing the print, like I, I think it's so rad to give back yeah. where you're able. And I think, like you said, like POW just aligns so well with what you want to do and since you have found this little niche in the outdoor industry it really just like feeds well off of each other and yeah thank you i i agree my family has this motto that if you have more than you need you should build a longer table and not a higher fence and every you know probably almost everyone has the capability to give back in some way obviously there are people that certain times in their life, they need to be just on the receiving end. And that's fine. But if you're in the position where you can be on the giving end and you have that opportunity, you're lucky to be able to do it. Like I'm lucky to be able to do it and I'm grateful to be able to do it. So finding a cause that aligns with your values and where you're aiming to go and like your view on the world and finding ways to give back, it also just makes it really fun, you know? But yeah, with, no matter what capacity you have to give back, like you should. And I'm at a position, like I'm in a position in my career where I have the resources to give back. And like, I can donate an image to, you know, I can donate a painting and I can, like, I have, yeah, I have the bandwidth to do it. So why not? <laughs> and I love that. Obviously, I love you can't do every cause. You got to like, you got to pick and choose, right? Like I can't be like, okay, I want to take on these 20 causes. I care about them all. It's like, all right, just pick one, stick with it and make an impact. <laughs> I love what you said about the table. Can you say the table thing again? Yeah. If you have more than you need, you should build a longer table and not a higher fence. I love that. Yeah. I think that's so true of so many things right now. <laughs> so yeah. many things but. yeah just leading with leading with uh gratitude and that sounds so cheesy but <laughs> leading with gratitude and like 
coming, figuring out how you can benefit others before you benefit yourself because it, you know, you should, you can, people can make huge impact. Um, even if it seems like it's a small scale, like you can, you can find a way to make impact wherever you are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Love it. Especially yeah. POW as an organization to support right now. Like I think literally everywhere in North America is in a snow drought. Like we're just sitting here waiting for it to snow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, I mean, so I'm in Whistler and we have had no snow for, well, we had a tiny flurry, maybe like 20 minutes of snow a couple of days ago. Other than that, for what, three weeks, four weeks? And I mean, you look at the Beijing Olympics, which are on right now, and it's almost all human-made snow. And uh, it's pretty interesting. It's a good way to reflect. Like, all right, where are we headed? Like, What is this world going to look like in 50 years? if we're on our current trajectory. Okay, if we make these changes, where could it be in 50 years? So, because our, our current actions are just gonna compound over time. I mean, on micro and macro scale. So on a global scale, but also on an individual scale, like your actions compound. So you gotta take uh, take tally of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Take tally and follow Protect Our Winters. <laughs> yeah, check them out. If it's a, a, a cause that aligns with you, then. Yeah join us. If not, that's okay. But probably will be. <laughs> Fair. Got to um, keep, keep our snow as fresh as possible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. I would love some power right now, well, but we don't got it. I'm about to go on a big ski trip and I am, or like you said, we're in the middle of a snow drought. So I'm hoping by the time I get to on my ski trip, starting in a week, there's a little bit of snow by then. Um, that would be nice. <laughs> Selfishly, that would be very nice. Oh my gosh. And I wouldn't let you tell me before, but now you have to tell me where is the ski trip? Yeah. Well, I'm gone for about a month. So that's very exciting. I'm going to um, Nelson. I'm going to Rosland. Uh, I'm going cat skiing in near Castle at Pincher Creek. And then I'm going to be in Calgary for a while visiting family and friends. And then I'm gonna be doing like one or two day trips between like Banff, Lake Louise and Kicking Horse. So Nelson, Roslyn, okay, so Whitewater, Red, Castle, uh, Banff, Lake Louise, Kicking Horse. It's gonna be sick. I'm really excited. (laughs) That will be sick. Is this all just for fun or is there a bit of work kind of sprinkled in here? It's a work, it's a work trip. Yeah. It's a lot of work. Yeah. It's, it's, um, both. I mean, my life is a lot of, my life's always kind of both. It's always work and fun, which is good and bad, but, uh, yeah. I mean, going to a ski town and visiting a ski resort is always a bit of work. Um, but it's also, but, but yeah, I'll be working on things while I'm there. So that's fun. But the two that I've, so I've been to, I've obviously been to uh, like Kicking Horse and Lake Louise and Sunshine, but I've never been in Castle, but I've never been to Red or Whitewater. That'll be my first time in the Kootenays actually. 
Oh, exciting. I've never <laughs> been to either, but I do have a lot of friends in Nelson. So. Oh, really? <laughs> I know. Well, I guess I know a few people there. Um, yeah, I'll be in Whitewater for almost a week. Or in, yeah, in, my gosh, I always want to call the town Whitewater, but. Yeah, yeah. Nelson slash Whitewater. Uh-huh, I'll be there about a week. So that'll be a pretty fun adventure. Um, yeah, I'm excited. It's, you know, when you're about to go on a trip and you know you only have a few days left and you have all these things on your to-do list you have to get done. And then it it starts getting closer and closer. So you're like, oh gosh, more pressure, more pressure. I need to get all these things on my list down. I need to figure out this. I need to figure out that. And then the closer you get to the day you leave, the more things you just kind of chop off the to-do list because you don't have time for it. Like mm -hmm. starting to get to that point. <laughs> like, oh gosh, it's so soon. I'm yeah, I'm going on this big trip. Um, yeah, and I'm also there's a chance I'm going to go to uh, Mount Hood for the first couple days of March, um, but it's dependent on the border. <laughs> I'm still not exactly sure about driving into the states right now. So that one, I'm not sure. If that'll be now or if it'll be more like in April, but yeah. Yeah. My, my, uh, my painting signature actually is ski tracks on Mount hood. <laughs> like the signature that I do on all my paintings. So every, I love visiting Mount hood. I'm like, Oh, I paint this every couple of days. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ski tracks on Mount hood. I know it's. Why Mount hood? Uh, well, that's kind of funny. So it's been the same signature since I was 19. And at the time I was dating someone who was from Oregon. Like I, when I was 19, my boyfriend was from Oregon and I saw Mount Hood and I was like, Oh, it's so beautiful. And then I was trying to think of a signature and I was like, Oh, I'll just do ski tracks on Mount Hood. Um, Cause you know, that's this like beautiful mountain in the state where my boyfriend's from. Um, Obviously, I'm not dating that boyfriend anymore. Like this was when I was a teenager, but it's still my, uh, it's still my signature. It's still on every painting. So yeah, it's, it's from my. It started from the the boy I dated when I was 19, being from there, from Oregon. <laughs> so that's like that's the honest story behind it. I mean, I could make up some bullshit about it's like an iconic peak in the Pacific Northwest that represents the beauty of this part of the world, but no, it's just a nice mountain that my ex-boyfriend showed me when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> I love the honesty. <laughs> it's, like, here for. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I know. Yeah, no, that's the truth. <laughs> I, I don't think I've ever admitted that publicly, but. Well, <laughs> here we are. <laughs> here we are. Thanks to my lovely ex. Oh Thanks my goodness. <laughs> it made an impact, apparently. Do you have a favorite mountain? Because my favorite mountain is Mount Temple in Lake Louise. Oh, I love that one. Yeah. If anyone has been to Lake Louise, or frankly, if anyone watches the 50 Project, Cody Townsendsky's Amers, which is this couloir that you can ski from the resort. Whoa. And you can, well, or, sorry, not that you can ski from the resort. You can see from the resort. <laughs> so you look across the valley and it's like get there. <laughs> beautiful peak. And you can just see this big diagonal cooler on it. And I don't know. I just look across at it. It's the biggest one in that zone too. It just sits above everything else. 
Matt and that cool art just looks so good. So yeah. good. But Cody Townsend skis it in his 50 project, so. I'll check it out. Yeah. Um, my favorite mountain? I mean, I feel like I should say Mount Hood because it's my signature, but it's probably not. It's probably, I'm pretty obsessed with Mount Rundle, um, which is in Banff. That is an iconic peak. It is so good. Like, I, I really love that one. Oh, the Black Tusk. <laughs> Duh. I, probably, I love the Black Tusk, obviously. It's one of my favorite to paint as well. And another one that's really underappreciated is Mount Fee, which you can see from Whistler Blackcomb. It's kind of this goofy looking mountain that I think is, I think is really beautiful and a quirky mountain, but it doesn't seem to get much attention or love. Like no one even, a lot of people don't even know what it is. Like don't even know what I'm talking about when I say Mount Fee and Whistler. Um, do you know which one I'm talking about? I'm trying to think because the one that I'm like thinking of in my head, I don't know if I'm thinking of Mount Fee or Mount Cayley. I was going to say the one that everyone knows is Mount Cayley or Cali, whatever it is. But um, Okay, well, I'm going to have to Google it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's really, it, no one seems to love it as much as you. Every time I see it, I'm like, oh, it's the cutest little thing. But yeah, I think Rundle and the Tusk, Mount Rundle and the Black Tusk. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the mountains around around Whistler very well because I haven't been here that long. But I know all the Banff Mountains, like mm -hmm. going down the highway quite well. Mm -hmm. But I do agree; those are both nice ones. I think because they have like the tusk for people who haven't seen it, it's got this like big point to it. Honestly, mm -hmm. when you see it from far away, it kind of looks like a hard on. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> but Mount Rundle it has just this sharp edge and it falls away and kind of yeah. like when the wind hits it, if there's snow on the top, just the way it blows off, it is a very, very cool peak above Banff, but. Yeah, Mount Runda looks like an accident. I remember, yeah, the Black Tusk, like I definitely remember painting it a couple of years ago and it just looked like, this was probably like 10 years ago. I remember painting it and being like, this just looks like a dick. <laughs> like I'm just gonna leave this mountain and now I paint it all the time and I don't I'm always cautious of that but uh yeah it's a funny mountain I don't think I've seen any of yours that look like a dick so you're doing well, great that's great <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad glad shading is on point <laughs> could be worse yeah um that's so funny yeah that would be unfortunate actually Okay, speaking of that, was it the one that you made for Stan Reyes to have? I know exactly. Am I allowed to say that on here? <laughs> the chairlift? No, like, oh, isn't there a painting that you did for them and it has like a little penis on the side? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, I thought you were talking about something else. So I just did a, yeah, yes. No. <laughs> I also just did, wow, it's getting hilarious. I also just did a painting of um, Chairlift 69 for Valentine's Day, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but that was that's where I thought you were going to go with it. But yeah, you're right. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, so Stan and Kelsey are good friends of mine, obviously. And I made this painting for them. And Kelsey and I were chatting about it when we were skiing. She was like, we got to do something funny to like surprise Stan. And I was like, sick. I'll just like hide a dick in it somewhere. Like... And it, I was like, that's perfect. But then I was like, I can't do that. I can't like hide a dick somewhere in the painting because we're making it into prints that are going to benefit Protector Winters. Like that's just like, 
not going to fly. So we did on the edges of the painting, like on the edges of the canvas, um, the painting like wraps around and the edges of the canvas are painted. Um, so yeah, I hit a little dick on the edge of the canvas and then uh, I actually ha have, there are tits on the other side. So, so when you look at the canvas straight on, it just looks like a regular painting in the black tusk. But if you saw the canvas in person, if you look on the right side, there's a dick on the side. If you look on the, or yeah, and then there's tits on the other side, so. We're professionals here. Yeah, that's funny, yeah. Uh, and then when I showed, uh, when we showed Stan, he noticed right away, which is pretty great. So yeah, I forgot about amazing. that. <laughs> I completely forgot about that. I'm glad you reminded me of it. I didn't forget. <laughs> I swear you can't see it on the print. <laughs> yeah, I just thought of that too, just because we were talking about how the tusk kind of looks like a dick. But yeah, anyway, enough, enough about dicks. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> I don't even know where we were. I don't, I don't either, but I love it. That uh, was a sidetrack. <laughs> yeah, it was good. Oh, yeah, the, um, the, yeah, I also did a, a painting. I do a lot of chairlifts. Mm -hmm. I did a painting of chairlift number 69 because it's always a good day if you end up on chairlift 69. Um, oh, for sure. You get 69 and you're like, got to pull out your like Instagram or Snapchat because people need to know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm also making that one into a print. I only have I only have prints like two times a year for like maybe two weeks at a time. That's it. Otherwise, you like can't get a print. Um, and I'm opening it up in a couple days and then it'll be open for most of March and then I'll close it again and then it won't be open again till like the fall or something. But I'm making one of the prints is of Chairlift 69. It's oh, pretty subtle. You, it's pretty subtle. So yeah, it's good. Oh yeah, you heard it here. It's <laughs> on sale for the next month. Yeah. You could put a sixty-nine on your wall. Yeah, exactly. And there's other ones that are also very good. <laughs> yeah. You could have the one that did have a penis on the side, but yours won't. <laughs> yours won't. Yeah, you, you won't be able to see it on the brand, but you can see it on the photos. Oh, it's funny. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. This is only like two weeks ago and I already forgot. <laughs> Life is busy. Yeah. I do love the like hiding. I mean, obviously I'm not always hiding dicks in the painting, but I do love like hiding little um, custom little elements into the painting. Like it, maybe the initial, like people's initials, or if I'm painting a chairlift, I'll make it a number that's symbolic to them. Uh, I did a painting, uh, a commission, through my gallery a couple months ago and the chairlift there were two chairlifts in the painting and it was the birth year of of the two kids um on each chairlift so let's say like i don't know like 95 and 97 or whatever it is um those weren't the numbers but yeah, i i like i like doing that or if you have you know i did a painting um for someone and it, there was a little A-frame in it with smoke coming out and I hid their initials in the smoke coming out of the A-frame chimney. I, I love doing things like that. It's just, it's I, I love hiding them in there where you probably wouldn't notice. It would probably be the third time you look at it that you'd realize. So those, I love doing that. But for the people who are getting these commissions like specifically for them, mm -hmm. 
it just makes it special, right? Like then you see it and it's this winter scene that you were inspired by in the first place. Then it also has this little sentimental bit that is like just for you, which is, I didn't, I didn't know you did that. So it's super cool just to hear. I did um, my last painting that I did for sunshine, going back to sunshine again, you know how they have the slush cup and Mm -hmm. they have flamingos like all over sunshine. They have flamingos everywhere. The lawn flamingos. Mm -hmm. So I hid, I hid one. I had a flamingo skiing. Like uh, I think it was on the edge of the painting. So in, on the last painting that I did for sunshine, there was like a flamingo on skis um, hidden on the canvas. (laughs) That's so funny. Yeah, yeah, I love it. So, I think something, yeah, something you said earlier, because you said something about kind of having internalized the idea of artists will never make money, and especially yeah. in the ski industry, because when you're in the ski industry, it's hard. People say, "Oh, it's so hard to make money." Right. And too, too I think yeah. even as a creative, hard to make money. So, how did you? carve out that space for yourself that's probably a very big question yeah well it's kind of it's that's sort of two stereotypes right the first Mm. one that creatives can't make money and the second one is there's no money in the ski industry and i'm not really in the ski industry like i'm there yeah they're my clients but like i'm not a ski like i'm not a professional athlete like i don't work for a ski brand um i don't work for a resort like i'm more on the peripherals I'm more of like a, I work, my clients are skiers, not necessarily people in this, well, yeah, I guess I just realized it's not really that I'm, my my clients aren't really, isn't really the ski industry, it's skiers in general. So a lot of my clients are, you know, like I just did a painting for someone down in Florida who skis a lot at Whistler and loves the resort. So it's, you know, it's a bit different than being in the ski industry. That was a bit of a tangent, but um, yeah, the, the two stereotypes are that creatives can't make money and that the ski industry, there's no money in the ski industry. And I would say if, to address the ski industry one, I'm not really in it that much. I'm in the art industry. A lot of my clients just happen to be in the ski industry, even though I'm not. Um, and as for like creatives can't make money, that stereotype is one that, um, runs deep in society. (laughs) Like the idea that artists can't make money, that artists are starving artists, that they have no business skills, that they, you know, are, oh, those stereotypes. I mean, we all know them, right? Everyone knows those stereotypes. But the reality of it is the, okay, that is true for probably about like 60% of creatives who are maybe doing it as a hobby or on the side or um, just for fun. But professional artists, like creative entrepreneurs, that's not the reality that I see at all. And I wish I'd, I wish I'd known that when I was younger, how much money is in the art world and how successful a lot of artists can be and that that level of success is attainable. So I, of my artist friends, to put it in perspective of my artist friends who I'm, you know, bounce ideas off of and like chat about our work and everything. I'm probably the only one not making seven figures a year. 
And like, damn. <laughs> yeah. Right. And I think it's important. I've said this before, but I think it's really important that you have exposure to what is possible. What is, what is possible? Because if you can see something as attainable for someone else, you can start to see it as attainable for you. Once you see it as attainable for you, you start to see it as inevitable for you. And then once you see it as inevitable for you, you will become successful at it. That is life advice. <laughs> but it's so true, right? It can be for anything, yeah. for athleticism. It can be for like happiness in your relationships. It can be for financial success. It can be for freedom in your lifestyle, right? And mm -hmm. the most obvious one is how much money you can make. If you are, you think that the maximum amount you can make is, I don't know, let's say like $100,000. The idea of making $700,000 a year, it just doesn't seem possible. Whereas for a lot of people, $700,000 $700, a year is like so little, right? And if you have exposure to people who are making, if you can understand that it's possible to make like $8 million a year, then you can start to understand how people got there. But if you don't see it as possible for others, it's hard to see it as possible for yourself, which is why I think it's important to ask others and like, learn what other people are doing and how much other people are making and like learn what is possible in life. Like Life is a menu that you can order off of. If you don't know that there's a whole other page, like that you can open up the menu and order other things that you don't even know exist, like you're not going to order them. So you need to know what's available in the world before you place your order. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because I mean, one, it sounds like you have solid mentorship, but two, I think especially like especially true in the creative space, whether you're looking at the ski industry or wherever you are setting your own prices. So you have to know your worth to set your own prices, but you also don't necessarily know what other people are making unless you ask them. And I know on the athlete side of things and like helping my friends who do have um, like actual like dollar contracts for stuff, like we don't know what to ask for because you don't know what everyone else is making. Mm -hmm. So you need to have some of that mentorship to be able to confidently say, I deserve this much money or I could make this much money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And be able if, to walk away if it's not right. Yeah. And it's like you're saying, like you just have to know what the menu is because then you can aspire to be the menu. Yeah. And then you can <laughs> say, oh wow, that's possible for someone. So it's it is doable for me. Mm -hmm. And a good way to start is just from asking. Ask people for their time, ask your friends for advice. Ask someone that's further ahead of you in their career to chat with you. I mean, obviously, you have to show up prepared and be worth someone worth investing time in. But yeah, learning from others that are further ahead of you is pretty much the best way to do it. And I think it's interesting because I am um, I am like not an athlete. I'm I'm not a professional athlete. That is you're, you're not, a good skier, though. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate Meg that. Meg is a solid skier. Yeah. Um. I've never considered being an athlete. Like I would, that's just not the career path for me, but there are so many parallels between my friends who are athletes 
and my friends who are artists. Especially because I live in Whistler. There are so many, so many skiers here. There's so many professional athletes here, not just skiers, but like professional athletes live in Whistler. And the parallels between the art, between being an artist and being an athlete are very similar. That it's, it's, I can learn a lot from asking my friends who are athletes what they do. And, you know, I can learn a lot from like talking to a sports agent, even though I'm not an athlete. Like I can still learn a lot from them about, how the industry works for them because it's so parallel to how it works for me. Um, yeah, I, man, I find love skiing, but it would be, well, I mean, you've been like, you competed a lot and you've like, are, do you still, do you ever think it takes away the fun making oh, it part of a career? That is a deep question. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very deep question. They'll be like, "Oh, well, do you not? Do you not? Are you not passionate about it anymore? Because it's your job." Uh, I found I was very, very passionate about it when I was competing, Mm -hmm. but where it changed for me is with nursing, and Mm -hmm. now that I am in nursing, and just things that have happened in my life for the last couple years, it's just been a lot, and. some things have made skiing not necessarily always the coping mechanism. And like I've brought it up here and there, but I mean, you're aware, but mm-hmm. having experienced death in the backcountry, it really just put a lot of things into perspective for me. And mm-hmm. I couldn't ski anymore without being really, really upset about my performance. And if I couldn't mm-hmm. ski good, then I wasn't having fun. So I've just spent the last like, last season and then just like continuing on to this season of taking that performance aspect out of it and throwing it out the window and I am totally content to not be competing anymore and not feel like I always have to be training and I always have to be achieving and I need to get out there and if I don't ski all all week I'm not letting anyone down Hmm. because it's just skiing and it doesn't matter that much. <laughs> That's so, so you're it's like a deep, a deep kind of path that I could probably talk about for a long time, yeah. but essentially like me leaving competitive skiing. And I think part of that is I just also realized that I didn't see myself becoming pro and not necessarily that I couldn't have done it, but I knew that I wanted to be a nurse and I, went back to school for that. And now I'm still focusing on growing that career and ultimately it will be better for me in the long run. But yeah, it's just a lot lot of things that factored in there where I realized that I could just gain more from the industry now, like reflectively. I think I can make more of an impact trying to get other people stoked and change all my bad experiences that I had and try and make it so that girls that are growing up won't have as many of those bad experiences. But I don't even know if I answered the question, but I, I I feel like it didn't make me not like it when I did it as like a job. Cause I worked on ski patrol. So I I did at some point do skiing as a job and I've coached and competed all that. And I loved it, but it was my life. And then when I couldn't do that, I just like really, really took it very hard and, I don't think you can be one thing. It's not good for you. Yeah. And it's interesting too, what you said about your, 
how much fun you had was tied to your performance. How mm. much fun you had wasn't tied to like the, the fun you were having. It's like you could only yeah. have afterwards when you reflected on how much how your performance went. And yeah, I would have fun because I skied a cool line because I was landing everything that I was hitting. And yeah, I always say I'm definitely not. I'm. I mean, I'm obviously not the best friend of my friend, the best skier in my friend group, but I'm almost always the one having the most fun. I have so much fun skiing. Like I, I always have fun. Like I'm always, I'm always having a great time. It doesn't like, I'm just stoked. Every day I go up skiing, I'm always like, this is so fun. This is a great time. I'm having so much fun. <laughs> and that's how it should be. That's, that's why I had to put it all back into perspective. It's just like, man, like, this sport is not just meant for being good at it. <laughs> yeah. What is uh what is um what does Katie Burrell say? She says take it down a notch or whatever. Katie Burrell says a lot of hilarious things. Yeah, she's pretty hilarious. We love her. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that you're not necessarily gonna toot your own horn, so I'll toot it for you. But <laughs> let's quickly chat about how you made 30 under 30 in BC. So you are a businesswoman and you have been recognized for being a businesswoman. Okay. So how yeah. how did that come about? <laughs> well, I won the BC Top 30 Under 30 um, through uh, BC Business Magazine. And for being the, my title was for being the go-to artist in the North American ski industry, uh, which is pretty great. Um, and I also got the award just in the nick of time. I turned 30, you know, like two months ago. So just made the list. <laughs> um, it was so winning an award like that. It's just, it's great recognition. A lot of people around me have no idea really what I'm working on and like how hard I work and actually what I, what I do for my job, I think. And getting that recognition is not that I need external validation, but it's nice. <laughs> it's nice to know that you, cause you're always, you're kind of working on this path, hoping that you're going in the right direction, but you're not sure. And it's nice to have, um, you know, like a, a group of judges say this person is heading somewhere. Like this person is on the track for success and we're going to recognize them now before they get there. So it's, um, yeah, it's nice to know that people think you're on the right track. Also something that I didn't know, like an, um, a positive effect that I wasn't expecting is how much uh, credibility has come with the award. Like for me to, for me to reach out to, um, let's say like reach out to uh, a gallery or like a ski resort or a magazine, whatever it is, it's so much easier now that I have this credibility, I have this clout, social merit. And that's been huge. Like it's really just kind of, it's really put an acceleration on the path I was on. And it's easier for people to get invested and get involved and support your business and your career because you've already put in the legwork to get it to where it is. And then you get this recognition and then it's easier for people to get on board because they know you've done the legwork. So 
I'm very grateful. It was really fun to win. Uh, you know, it's, it's fucking rad. Like it's something I'll always have is that I was like a top 30 under 30 and now I have my eye sets on being a top 40 under 40. So report back once I get that one, I have another decade to win it. So is that also a prize? Like, do they do that? Yeah, they have okay. two of them. They have a, I mean, they have a Vancouver one and then they have a Canada top 40 under 40. So oh. we'll see. So what's not? next? What's like, what's the, I mean, other than that, that's like 10 years away. Do you yeah. have any, any like closer to now goals? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I have a million of them. I would like to sign with another gallery uh, in either Eastern Canada or in the States. So that's next. That's probably in the next six months. Um, I would like to um, put you on the spot. Yeah, yeah no, I, I mean, I, I'm very goal oriented. I have these written down and I reflect on them every Monday morning at like 9 a.m. <laughs> I know all these things. I'm just trying to decide. I have like certain revenue goals that I'm aiming for. Um, I'd like to do like larger pieces, work on just bigger projects in general and grow my, you know, like my team or group of contractors that I work with and keep making a positive impact. That's obviously very important to me. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I have very specific goals that I can like pull up on the Excel sheet where they're all written down, but yeah. And I'm also, I'm working on this project with Protect Our Winters, which I, um, that's why I, when you were like, oh, I'm put you, you said you were putting me on the spot. It's just because I don't want to talk about it yet because we haven't finalized it yet. But I'm working on this project with Protect Our Winters that I think will be pretty great if it comes into fruition, it's looking like it will, um, knock on wood, but it's on the right track for sure. Um, so that's a big goal of mine, but, uh, we'll do a part two once it's, once it comes out. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. like part, part three. Oh yeah. Part three. People been... can go back and, and find your first episode with Adam. Mm -hmm. And then now we've got big update. <laughs> And then next next year we'll do like update over three. Yeah. <laughs> where where is Meg now? <laughs> where in the world? Yeah. Yeah, who knows where you'll be? You could be anywhere pinning who knows what mountains. <laughs> well, we have big goals. I mean, I'm I've always been very ambitious. Um I pretty much have no off switch. Like I'm always aiming to do something better, to like to, you know, to do, be better at my career, to be better at fitness, to like be a better friend, to be better at communication. I'm always aiming to improve. Um, and I really have no off switch. Like I have limitless amounts of energy. I've, I've never run out of energy. <laughs> I you donate some. Like I work in healthcare, like, please donate. <laughs> I need more energy. Honestly, I wish I could turn it off sometimes. I just, I can't like, I'm, yeah, I have so much energy, so much ambition, uh, so much excitement, and just joie de vivre. So I have big goals, and I look forward to accomplishing those. So yeah, and then I have, you know, like my own life goals, too, that are pretty rad. So, but you know, like I look forward to buying my first house. And I want to get my pilot license and 
really want to learn to paraglide, which I'm not sure if you even know what that sport is, but yeah. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> I think it looks great. Uh, and yeah, I have like bigger goals. I have a lot of goals. I'm definitely, I don't know. I, if for ambitious. better, I'm, huh? Ambitious. For better or for worse. Yeah, I am very ambitious. And no one's ever told me that, or at least I've never listened to them if they have. Like, no one's ever told me that I like can't do something. So, or if someone has, I've obviously never listened. So I come up with these crazy goals and I'm like, why not? Why not? And then I just like set my mind to it and try and figure it out. And then stop seeing it as a unattainable goal and just start seeing it as something I'm doing or working towards. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm a bit of an intense person. I'm not sure. <laughs> so as we close this one out, Meg, can you tell people, I mean, if you have anything else that is like burning desire to let the world know, but <laughs> otherwise let, people know where they can find you and where they can find your art and plug whoever you want, whatever <laughs> you want. This is all you. <laughs> yeah. I, my, yeah, you can check my website out. It's megoharacreative.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at megoharacreative. I also mentioned Protector Winters, Pow. Dr. Winters Canada. So check them out if you want. And a last little note to send out. I don't know. Be nice. Have fun. Do good work. Have like enjoy this wonderful life we have. And uh, be nice to everyone. <laughs> That's my parting note. Oh, and if anyone is in any of those ski towns that I just mentioned, I'm not sure when this podcast is coming out, but if anyone is in uh, Nelson, Rosalind, uh, Lake Louise, or Kicking Horse, or Calgary, I guess. Slide into my DMs and give me some advice on what I should do and what I should ski and what I should see. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> um, what's the gallery where your art is? Creative Contemporary West or Whistler Contemporary Gallery. You can okay. read it as well. Are those both? on the west coast whistler yeah west yeah makes sense west, maybe. um question <laughs> no no it's not yeah. and, uh, you you sign when you sign with the gallery you sign an exclusivity agreement and depending on the caliber of the gallery the more geography they take up so mine is a you know one with a lot of clout so they own my rights for all of western canada mm. From so BC, Alberta, Manitoba, and whichever what other one. Oh, Saskatchewan. So that's why you need it Eastern. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me on. This was really fun. I always love chatting with you. And it's so fun how we just met randomly on a ski day once. And uh, I'm really yeah, I'm really impressed with the podcast. I think you're you guys are doing a great job, and I'm sure I'll meet Tori eventually one day. Yeah, we are trying. We're trying. Great, it's a work in progress. Everything is right. That's like 
there is no end destination in life. It's all short. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So yeah. thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for being on. Of course. Ha happy Monday, everybody. Yeah.